0: Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. All right, it would be really good if you got the handout this morning. Um, So I just want a quick announcement. We we did talk about the 21-day Daniel fast that's coming. Rosh Hashanah is upon us here. September 20th, that's Sunday, the 25th of September, starts the Jewish New Year. And there's a whole bunch of things shifting right now in the atmosphere. The death of the queen, the new prime ministers, the new leadership, Israel, all that's happening, the, there's a lot that's happening in the in the realms. That, uh, so being ready and prayed up and fasted, I encourage you, get ready for that. Next week, I'm gonna have Sarah Bramstead, who's a, a certified holistic trainer, um, She's gonna come and tell us about how you can prepare for a 21-day fast. I think you said you did two already this year. Wow, okay. So something about that preparation that's gonna come during that whole Feast of Tabernacles that what's going on, that season. And then Mary Esther's gonna come. We're gonna do several Wednesday nights. That night of uh, Yom Kippur, we're gonna have a night for the Lord here. That Wednesday night tends to fall then and we're gonna ask the Lord to come. So I'm asking you to prepare your hearts because stuff is getting ready to to shift in a way. uh, Anyway, I'll just leave it there. Okay, praise God. Um, 21 years ago today, we landed in Rio de Janeiro with a team of 70 of us we were actually, I think, 18 or 19, I can't remember the number from from this church doing a mission trip into the Amazon region up in Manaus, uh, Belém, Santarém, along the Amazon River. When we landed, there were like six or seven different planes that were uh, coinciding in, both coming in from Europe, from across the states, and you know what happened on September 11th. And so we landed, we were one of the first planes out of here, and we landed. Randy Clark at that time, because the Evangelical Church was exploding throughout uh, some of the Roman Catholic areas in Brazil, he said, would you please keep a low profile? Just, you know, let's be incognito for a while, right? Well, so much for that idea. Um, When we landed, we were the first ones through. We got through customs. We went and said, let's find a coffee shop. We go to the coffee shop. It was one of the only English-speaking coffee shops in Rio de Janeiro that we could find. And all of a sudden, we see these strange things like towers coming down. I'm like, that's got to be a movie. And the Brits that were there, the other Australians that were, all of us sitting around like in horror and shock. At that point, all the computer systems were jammed, every cell phone, there was no way. So my, my wife, my daughter, the family members from here, like, were our loved ones on the planes that were redirected internationally, and are they part of the planes that went into the tower? And for the next hours, you could not get through. They had no idea. And so this morning, one of the young men that was on that trip who lives in another state, he texted me, he goes, Pastor Tom, I'll never forget what we saw when we were there, yes, our nation was violated, but we were about the Father's business on a trip that forever changed us. It was the miraculous things that we saw on that trip. And, and so, we, when that, I was one of the first leaders, pastors through, and I'm like, I don't know if Randy Clark's, play. I don't know if all of the 70 they are supposed to meet us, if they're, they're dead or not, we don't know. I said, you know what, guys? We had a worship team with us. Uh, I said, Break out the instruments. So right outside of customs, we set up a worship team and it was crazy, you know, low profile, right? Terry Rickey had a guitar case that had I Love New York on it or something. He said, I love New York. Well, they know that the planes are going to New York, but we're from North Carolina, but they don't know that, so the press, the Brazilian press shows up, they want to interview Americans and others, what is it like when when your nation's under attack, and and so they zoom in on the I Love New York sticker on the guitar, these guys are from New York, no, we're from North Carolina, from New York, and pretty soon, we are worshiping full-blown out. And as people are coming out from all, they knew that we were under attack at that point. And so the press is interviewing us. We had, uh, we had Christians from all different nations. I remember these Korean guys coming out. We were doing the Days of Elijah. We are worship. Everyone's joining in, all the different nations. It was just absolutely wild. And as every plane landed and every one of our loved ones came through, the cheers went forward. I remember the Brazilian janitor, Brazilian janitors and they're dancing with their brooms out there in the worship center and like, it was great, it was just one of these wild things. And the next two weeks we realized we probably don't go home for months. You can't get a flight, you can't, you know, security, all the great world's changing. And we said, we don't care, we're here. We did finally connect with our loved ones, says we're all alive and we're here and I don't know when we're coming back but we're gonna get about the Father's business. And, and we flew to Manaus. And uh, when we got there, it was wild. They said, you know, your nation's under attack and yet you've come here to bless our nation. And they did a tribute that night. I had asked the Lord on several of the mission trips, why do I see such passion in Brazil for God? And we're kind of like not as passionate here in the States. What is that, Lord? So I said, Lord, show me why the Brazilians are so passionate and we're kind of like reserved. And that night they did a dance with um, Amazing Grace. There were about 70 Brazilian worshiper dancers wrapped in an American flag and they stood in front of all 70 of us and I remember when the woman finished in front of me she got down on the stage and there was a puddle of tears and I am not exaggerating. It was a cup full of tears. And she said, you wonder why I come in passion here? It's because of that. And I, I broke. I said, Lord, let the passion of God come. And, and we saw miraculous things. I've shared some of those. We saw things on that trip that I have never seen before. Blind eyes open. I saw over 10 or 12 deaf mutes speak at one moment when the God blew the wind of the rain in and just opened up their mouths. And tumors disappearing in front of our own eyes, the lame walking, the demon eyes set free. And God just honored it. He just did. And so... I just wanna to remember today, we saw on that day, there were that, this fits well with the sermon, I, and I didn't put the connection together till this morning, but there were people that woke up on 9-11 and it was their last day on earth. Extreme bravery, extreme sacrifice. People that didn't know they were gonna be heroes that day became heroes. It's a wise thing for us to think about how many days we might have left on this earth and then use those days wisely. So I titled today's message, Jesus Returns in the Days of Noah and of Lot, out of Luke 17. Jesus Returns as in the Days of Noah and of Lot. So if you look at your handout, let me set this up. In, um, let's turn actually, in Matthew 24, I love to hear pages turning, but you can use your phones if you're one of them. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. However you bring your sword, bring your sword. <laughs> but I, I don't know about you, but I just like, you know, all the, uh, it's on the left page right here, and that's like, right. Okay, in Matthew chapter 24, you're, you're probably familiar if you've studied some of the end time stuff that Jesus describes to the disciples in Matthew 24 and in Luke 21 and Mark 13, signs to look for. Why are you jabbing him back there? Is he, is he, he's bothering? Come on, Jim, behave. You're in church. <laughs> I thought it was something about the sermon. Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I didn't mean to pick on you, Jim. I love you. You know that, right? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> when a wife starts whacking her husband, I just, I don't know if I need to intervene or not. <laughs> okay. Matthew 24, are you there? Yeah, let's begin Um Well look at verse 32, now learn the lesson from the fig tree wherein the branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout and you'll know that summer is near. In the same way when you see all these things you can know that the return is very near, it's right at the door. I tell you the truth, this this generation will not pass from the scene until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, disappear. My words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or the hour. Let's, I'm going to ask you to focus on that. But then he goes down and says, verse 42, So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day the Lord is coming. So we, he also has that likewise. And we know that in the scriptures, often Israel is referred to as the fig tree, as a, a reference of the fig tree. You can see that I won't have you turn there, but Jeremiah 24:3, Hosea 9:10, it speaks of Israel as the fig tree. And there's good figs and bad figs. They use a lot of correlation there. And so, when you start to see the fig tree start to blossom. Well, when did Israel start blossoming as a nation? May 14th, 1948, can a nation be born in a day? Isaiah 66, yes. Harry S. Truman, within 14 minutes of when they declared themselves a sovereign nation, our nation recognized it, Truman raised in Sunday school, remembered what, his, what he had been taught about Israel coming back. So this... Move of God, this presence of God that Jesus said was going to watch Israel, and then of course I listed at least fourteen other signs that seem to be relevant. Some have been happening a long time; others are like they're exponentially increasing. So let's—I know I just told you that you don't know the day of the hour, but let me ask you a sobering question for a minute. It says that you don't know the day of the hour, and yet it'll say He'll come when you least expect it. So I was thinking, what would be a day when people might least expect the return? So I would like you to think three and a half months from now, New Year's Eve, what, and you knew, even though you don't know the hour of the day, you know, man, something's going on with December, if you knew that Jesus was coming back New Year's Eve, December 31st, three and a half months from now, what would you do different between now and then? Would you be more um, out there telling your loved ones about Jesus is coming back? Um, would you be uh, going fishing on Sunday mornings taking the kids to sports? Um, would you be going to a drinking party that night? No. Praise the Lord. Would you be going to watch the ball fall? No. Okay, I'm just messing with you. But, I, but the point is we, we, we end up... He tells us, be ready, it's coming when you least expect it. So how is your behavior gonna adjust if you knew that that was the case? Because he's coming back, whether it's next week or a few years from now, or he comes for you, or you go to meet him because your time's up. So, so when we start looking at this returning, I, I, just, I was very familiar with this, but I said, I wanna really, really dig into what was going on in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot. So, let's turn, let's turn to that, Luke's chapter 17. And let's see what you, now I gotta tell you, it's gonna get a little raw in this a little bit, okay? But I want you to, the truth will set you free. So, we don't have any children in here, so that's all right, praise God. And those moms and dads listening a live stream, you know, at some point, when we talk about some of these real things that Jesus talked about you might just want to cover their ears okay so if you'll let's look at Luke 17 and let's begin in verse 20 one day I'm going to read I've got both the King James I have a parallel Bible King James on the left and on the right of my Bible I've got the New Living Translation so I have the the word for word translation from the 1600s and I have the current modern day thought for thought translation uh, in the New Living Translation. Now I had someone come and say you can only use the King James. I said, Why is that? Because it's the only true li- it's the only true Bible. <laughs> I said, Okay. In fact, they got really angry at me because one of my pastors read the New Living Translation one Wednesday night, and they got all wound up. And man, so I did a study and I, I got all the different translations and I came back and says, Do you want to see where all of the translate unless it goes back to the original Greek, and Hebrew, Aramaic. When we talk, have you ever had someone translate from another language for you? Do you think they get it exactly right? Now, I would realize all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, 2 Timothy 3.16. But I did a study, and I came up with about 50 pages of translational concerns with the King James. You look it up for yourself. I'm not being critical of any of it. I'm just saying, let's be uh, wise. When we look at Scripture, get a lot of different translations and get that, and let the Holy Spirit teach you, or go back to the original. All right, and I may share some of that today, which is different, but let's see. So let's go there, verse 20, Luke seventeen twenty. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say here it is or it's over there for the kingdom of God is already among you. King James says it this way, and when he demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and said to them, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It's an interesting uh, concept here. We know that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heavens a prayer. And Jesus says he's already here, the kingdom's already here. In other words, I'm here, (laughs) and I brought the kingdom with me, and as you get born again, the kingdom of God is within you. Know ye not that you are the temple of the living God? So you are a living stone. So this is that really wild concept. The kingdom is now, and it's not fully yet, because he's coming. There will be a day. We look at Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It says the new Jerusalem is coming down, and he will establish his theocracy kingdom on earth. So that will be the fulfillment of it. And so it's interesting, Jesus has got this concept. So they're saying, where's the kingdom? He says, well, it's here, but you guys have already rejected me, Pharisees. And then he turns and he goes on with his disciples and he says this, verse 22. He says to his disciples, there is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man will return, but you won't see it. Jesus is prophesying saying, He's, he's, a, he's already warning them, and he's going away. He's going to suffer, and he says, you're going to long for me to come back, but in your generation, you're not going to see it. Verse 23, people will tell you, look here, the Son of Man, go there. Look, don't go and don't follow him. These are the false Christs, right? For as lightning flashes, and this is interesting, when he comes back the second time, you're not going to miss it. He goes this, he says... For as the lightning flashes and the lights sky up at the end to the other, so on the day when the Son of Man comes, it'll be like that. But first, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. So he's talking to his disciples and said, I'm going to suffer. You're going to see that, but you're, you're going to long for me, but you're not going to see it. And, the, and it'll happen, the suffering will happen in this generation. We know he's talking very soon. Let's keep going. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like in the day it was in the Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets, parties, weddings, right up to the time Noah entered the boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating, drinking, buying, selling, farming, building, until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And on that day, a person out on the deck of the roof must not go down to the house to pack. In fact, I don't know if Leisha knew this. She opened on this, praise God. A person out in the field must not return. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. And if you let your life go, you're going to save it. That night, two people will be asleep in the bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, the other will be left. Where will this happen, Lord? The disciples asked. Jesus replied, now this is wild. Just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate the end is near. That's a strange answer to, where's this gonna happen, Lord? Here's here's some revelation on this. You remember Lot's wife. The, you know, she turned back. She was directed by the angelic guys carrying out. says, do not look back, which signifies she was kind of missing maybe the old life what was it that just happened there's a curiosity evolves everything that you had the wealth and everything's burning up you might want to look at that well she did and that was the consequence to her but he's saying look if you're on the top of the roof and you know the end is coming don't run down and pack up your stuff forget your stuff you're not taking it with you right we're so wrapped up in our stuff it's like i gotta get this I gotta... <laughs> no And so, and then he says, you'll know it because the vultures will tell you where the dead things are. One of the signs of the days of Noah, there's gonna be a lot of dead stuff going on out there that is gonna produce, you'll see the darkness and the deadness of it all. And that'll be a sign to us that, so in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot. So look at your handout for a moment. We see from that, Jesus reveals the kingdom there. You see that in A, the location of his return. The kingdom of God is, we know by definition, Romans 14, 17 says this, I got it listed there. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Ghost. So if you're righteously operating in the Holy Spirit, there's gonna be peace and joy. There's a, a, if you do this, then you'll see that. But it's in the Holy Ghost, right? And so he, he reveals that to us. And then he says, the kingdom of God is within you. When Jesus returns, the world will be like Noah and Lot. So we, we see this. Look at C1. Business as usual. Is there business as usual going on out there right now? <laughs> right? Buying, selling, doing, right? Getting, and so it's gonna be like, okay, where is it? Everything's, the, even the mockers tell Peter, Peter addresses, it's been a thousand years plus, what's up? Where He hasn't come back, so he's not coming back, and they mock him, and then Peter says, a day is like a thousand years. So it's actually only three days ago, two and a half days ago, that this happened in God's calendar, um, that he was resurrected, and so we see that. So we know that, um, Number two there, Jesus would already have been crucified and rejected by the generation in the disciples' time. And the disciples would long to see Jesus coming, but not see it. So let's look now to Genesis chapter 6, and let's dig in to some of the details. Go back to Genesis chapter 6, just before the flood. And let's begin in verse 5, Genesis 6, 5, the Lord observed, speaking of Noah's time, the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and He saw everything that they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. That's, you look at the adjectives around that, right? Um, let me read you the King James. God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's pretty wicked. You really got to work at being that evil. (laughs) But that's what was going on and the progression, obviously. And he goes on and says, So the Lord was sorry that he ever made and put them on the earth and it broke his heart. And the Lord said... I'll wipe the human race I have created from the face of the earth. I'm gonna destroy every living thing, all the people, large animals, small animals, that scurry on the ground, the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them, but Noah. Noah found favor with God. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time and he walked in close fellowship with God. Well, there's some principles there. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, God saw that the earth had become corrupt, was filled with violence. Is that happening now? It's really wild, some of the stuff you see. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So you know the rest of the story. I'm going to confirm my covenant with you, build a boat, and they say it took over hundred years. Can you imagine the mocking that took place during that hundred years? What you doing, Noah? Yeah, building a boat because God's coming. Yeah, right. So are the mockers of today, which we'll look at in a minute. So what we look at that in Noah's day, look at four A. The extent of human wickedness, every imaginate thought and heart consistently evil, corruption, violence. God's heart was broken. And Noah was righteous and blameless. The good news is, there are righteous people during Noah's day. That ought to encourage us, right? When we see later what Peter says about that, it'll all get you excited. And so, when we see that there were unrighteousness, lots of evil, but there were righteous, at least Noah was righteous. And you know how he spared them. Okay, what does Lot's day reveal? Well, let's turn now, a couple of pages to the right, go to Genesis 13 and dig into, I don't know if I've ever preached a sermon on what was Jesus telling us about these days in specifics. It says in Genesis 13, you know the story, Abraham and Lot, of course, Abram at that point is not Abraham, Sarah hasn't had Isaac yet, but Abram obviously is a righteous man and he has a nephew named Lot and God blesses them and they are like wealthy upon wealthy. In fact, they got so much flocks and herds, they've got to separate because right now the herd is kind of overgrazing, over whatever. He says, so Abraham gets, Abram gets with Lot and says, we got to split up. You got to go one place, take your herds. And where do you want to go? I'll give you first choice. And he says, I want to go to the area of Zor. The Jordan plain there, it's like beautiful. In fact, it's described here in, uh, we'll see in verse 11 in just a minute by the Jordan Valley. So let's look at this. It says, so they decide to split up. You take your sheep. Verse five of Genesis 13. He said, let's, you take your flock and your wealthy. You make your choice. So Lot makes his choice, and he goes to that area, and look at verse 10. Look, they, they, they looked at the fertile plains on the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor, the whole area was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord and beautiful in the land of Egypt. This is beautiful. It isn't today. I've been there. Like the garden of the Lord, beautiful in the land of Egypt. This was the, 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 before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley east of them. He went there with his flocks and his servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan and Lot moved his tents to the place near Sodom and settled there in the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south and east and west, I'm giving you this land as a permanent possession. We know that's part of the covenant. Now turn to chapter Let's go to 18, Genesis 18. We'll skip over the whole promise of the son, Isaac, and what happened there and, and get to the place where, what do we know about Lot's time? And so let's pick up in Genesis beginning in verse 16. At this moment, let's just kind of enter the story, um, the Lord manifests himself and actually goes to talk to Abram and brings two angels with him. We know it's the Lord, you can look at that chapter. He talks with Abraham face to face. He has these two angels that manifest themselves at that point and they're talking to Abram and God kind of asks the question in verse 16, then the men got up, so the angels get up and they look towards Sodom, so they're on their assignment. This is gonna be an angel test. He sends the two angels towards Sodom. And the Lord stays there and he's walking with them. So you got Abraham walking with them. They're all walking together. And it says, verse 17 Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation. And I've singled him out and I'll direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord doing what is right and just. So the Lord said, I've heard of an outcry. From Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is flagrant. That word in the Hebrew, outcry, actually means a cry for justice. There are victims in Sodom and Gomorrah that have been crying out. There are victims in the United States and in this world system right now that are crying out, Where's the justice? That's that same word. And so, those that are being trafficked, those that are being abused, those that are being prostituted, those who are being beaten. There's those who are unjustly accused. Those who are suffering, being beheaded with talking to my missionaries in Mozambique. There's ungodliness and they're crying out, where's the God of justice? That's that word. So this outcry for justice has risen to the level of the Lord. And the Lord says, I'm sending two of my angels to go check this out. So, when we get to this place, let's pick up verse 22, chapter 18. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, and the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Because he knows his nephew is there, right? And suppose there's 50 righteous, and you know this, this whole negotiation that takes place. And Abram says, one, the principle there is if there's a righteous person in that town, God will spare it, or the family. That is, that is really good news. But there's something about the numbers. There needs to be a certain number. So I, I often ask the Lord, I said, Lord, why did Abraham stop at 10? Why didn't he just, like, keep going? I found this out this week in searching. Do you know that Abraham had two married daughters and two unmarried daughters? research it I'm telling you it's in in there I won't take the time to show you scripturally but there's so there were already 10 of Lot's family Lot and his wife the two married and their sons and the two unmarried and their fiancés so Lot's so Abram's probably saying there's got to be 10 there my family's there and I know how Lot is right unfortunately um, no so so we see here, it says, he negotiates down, and, and of course, Lod's, uh, Abram knows God's heart. He says, would you destroy the righteous? Would you put them in the same barrel of stuff? No. And so the uh, the pre-trib rappers, love, rapture guys like that one. We're out of here before it gets really ugly. Now, if you're a post or mid-trib, you know, okay, let the Lord talk to you about that. I'd like to be on the first plane out, I've told you, right? You can stay here and be with the Tribbers. <laughs> I'm out of here, please, Lord. Anyway, okay, that's a side note. So, okay, so what do we find? He says, all right, fine. Look at chapter 19. Now, here's where it gets a little raw, so just hang in there with me, all right? The evening, this is the word of God, so we can read it. The evening the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Lot, and Lot was sitting there, as a, as a note, the leadership of a town met at the gate. That's where they did the judgments. So Lot is a member. We know he's wealthy already, very, very wealthy. I believe he's in leadership. He's sitting at the entrance to the gate when the two angels who are looking like men, did you ever entertain angels unaware? These look like human men, but they're now in a a God assignment to go find out about this outcry of injustice. I want to know, because we know God is sovereign. He's, he's able to know. He knows everything. But he says, I want to know if this is, go- they're going to fail this God test. You go there and you tell me if the same garbage that I've heard of happens with these angels, they're toast. This is the angel test. He goes and says, he meets them at the gate. He sees the two coming into the gate. says, and he welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground. What a humility. My lords, he said, come to my home to wash your feet that you can be my guest that night, that you may get up early in the morning and get on your way. In other words, come to my house. I got to get you out of here. Now, there's no cell phones where Abram calls up and says, by the way, a lot, there's two guys coming. <laughs> but lots of righteous man, we know this. And they said, no, no, no. The angels say, we'll spend the night out in the city square. Lot insists, I don't know how he does it. So at last they went to his home, Lot prepares a feast for them, complete with fresh bread, made with yeast, and they ate. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, some of your translations, all the young and the old men of Sodom surround the house. Verse 5, they shouted to Lot, where are the men that came to spend the night with you? Bring them out that we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. This one bothered me for a long time. I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish. But please, leave these men alone, for they are my guests and under my protection. Part of the culture there. I don't know if you've ever saw the Lone Survivor movie. That's true, there's in certain cultures, you come to my house, I will die for you. Or maybe they knew that these homosexuals didn't want women. I don't know what was going through his mind, but I wouldn't have done that, <laughs> right? Well, they react to him and they said, bring them out or we, so we can do with what we wish, but please, leave these men alone. They're my, under my house. Stand back, they shouted. The fellow came to town as an outsider. No, lord's Lot. You came as an outsider and you judge us. And now you're acting like a judge. We'll treat you far worse than those other men. And they lunged towards Lot to break down the door. But the two angels reached out, pulled Lot back into the house, bolted the door. And then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door at the house. So they gave up trying to get inside, you think? Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city, they asked. Get them out of this place. Your son-in-laws, comma, sons and daughters, or anyone else. For we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, Quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it, but the young men thought he was only joking. Sad when the younger generation does not embrace the warnings. And I've got plenty of them I've talked to. And at dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said. Take up your wife and your two daughters that are here and get out, of, get out now or you'll be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, this is, this is wild. When Lot hesitated, the angel seized his hand and his hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city for the Lord was merciful. When the day of safety, when they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Oh no, my Lord, Lot begged. This is wild. You've been so gracious to me and saved my life um, in such great kindness. Can I not go to the, I can't go to the mountains. Disaster will catch up with me there. I'll soon die. So there's a little village over nearby. Let me go there instead. Um, See how little it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said, I'll grant your request. I will not destroy the little village, but hurry, escape to it, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. That's another wonderful principle. This explains why the village is known as Zor, which means little place. Lot reached the village and the sun was rising over the rise. and the Lord rained down fire, burning sulfur in the sky of Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them. Actually destroyed four cities. He was gonna destroy five. Those, those other cities, we'll in we'll a minute here. He utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all the people. But Lot's wife looked back so she was she was following behind. She turned into a pillar of salt. Abraham got up the next morning. He looks back and he sees the sulfur and all the rise of that. But God had listened to Abraham's request. Verse 29, kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster. Now let's read on. Afterwards, Lot leaves Zor, the little village, because he was afraid of the people there. Remember, that was a city destined to be destroyed, so the same immorality and junk is going on there. They were on the hit list, but because of God's righteous desire to protect Lot, he says, all right, go there. But then something arises, and Lot says, he's afraid. I don't know whether it's your fault. You got out, and I don't know what was going on, but he obviously is afraid. So he does finally get to the mountains. So he gets there, he says, they went to live in a cave in the mountains with his two daughters. One day, the older daughter said to her sister, there are no men left anywhere in this entire area, so we can't get married like everyone else. And our father will soon be too old to have children. Come, let's get him drunk with wine, and we'll have sex with him, and that way we'll preserve the family line through our father. Talk about compromise, justification garbage. So that night, they got him drunk, not a good move guys so that night they got him drunk with wine the older daughter went and had intercourse with her father and he was unaware of her lying down getting up next morning the next morning the older daughter said to the younger sister I had sex with our father last night so let's get him drunk tonight with wine again and you go in and have sex with him that way we'll serve our family line through our father so that night, they got him drunk with wine again. The younger daughter went, had intercourse with, her, with him. As before, he was unaware of her lying down or getting up again. As a result, both Lot's daughters became pregnant by their own father. When the older daughter gave birth to her son, they named him Moab. Mark that word, the Moabites. When the younger daughter gave birth to his son, she named him Ben-Anmi, which became the ancestor of the nation of the Ammonites. Both are absolute sworn enemies of Israel even today. Something happens in the ancestral drunkenness of that behavior that breeds enemies. So we see this, it says, let's go back to the handout now. One, what, would, what do we see of going on in Lot's day? Lot was compromised. He's in a culture of sin and for whatever reason, I believe, this is my opinion, because he was making money and he allowed a lot, he said, I'll stay there. I'll stay in Sin City because I'm recognized there. He was a righteous man. He hated it. We know that. But at the same time, it affected his two daughters who were married. He lost his fiancés. Set, set it up. So he was compromised, I believe. He knew what was going on in the city. He was a guy at the gate, tried to protect, which is good, but hey. This idea of compromise and living in places of this worldliness, watch out. Intercessors were crying out, praise God. In Lot's day, we've got Abraham saying, God, can you you save this city? Can you make this a safe place? Can you preserve this nation? Can Can you save my family? So intercessors are on the wall crying out, and God's listening. That's good news. Sin was rampant, flagrant. D, the gates of the city were even compromised. That represents government, leadership was all compromised. Homosexuality and perversion are rampant and the innocent are offered up to satisfy evil lust. That happened in today, it's happened, but it's happening in ways that are just so disgusting today. The younger generation F will not heed the warning and flee from the evil. Good news, righteous family members can make a safe place for you. I like that. Drunkenness and perversion will breed enemies of the family of God. The Moabites and the Ammonites became nations vowing to destroy Israel. In fact, you can see that we won't turn, but in Psalm 83, 1 through 8, I've listed there. That is the very words that are spoken by some of the Iranians associated with destroying Israel today. Quotes from them. Now let me just run by a couple of things here. This I've got a few minutes. I want to show you that the outcry in Sodom was actually that word Zayach in the Hebrew, which means cry out by a victim. It's like, God, will you please deliver me? Where are you? God, where are you? That's the cry. So he hears that. Now, I've said this before. Sin is sin, but not all sin is the same. It's true that sin separates you from God. But there are, there are grievous sins, and I've covered this before. We've looked at, if you go to uh, Exodus 20, you don't have to go there now, or Exodus 34, it actually lists different words for the levels of sin. Sin is miss the mark. Then there's transgression, which means I choose rebellion. And then iniquity is the twisted character which is what is in Romans chapter one of those who are ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of truth and their minds are given over to a reprobate, seared conscience and they no longer have any conscience of God. There's a place where sin will take you that you can't get back from. Now I know God can deliver us but there's something there about the iniquity. Those who hate me, the iniquitous group of people that hate me will impact their children to the third and fourth generation. So we see this, this this sin, this here, the grievous sin, the, the, the Hebrew word there is kabod, and it means serious, grievous sin, and these are the words that are used in this area of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom was serious. Homosexuality is listed in that, let's turn, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I wasn't gonna go here, but let's go here for a minute, because I'm not just singling out this. We're gonna, we're gonna single out all kinds of garbage. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is writing, it's New Testament. Verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Don't be foolish. I understand grace, grace, and there are those who say once saved, always saved. This scripture is one of those that says no. Now some would say, well, maybe they were never saved. I'll let you decide. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols. What's idolatry? Anything you use to replace? That can be money, material, stuff, jobs, position, idolatry. Those who worship idols commit adultery, male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, are thieves, greedy. Drunkards, abusive, cheat people. If you're if you're manipulating your your time cards, you're lying on your taxes, and that's your lifestyle. You're cheating people when you're doing work for them. You might want to read this. If that's your lifestyle, now here's the. I know it got really quiet in here. I'm not trying to be. <sighs> All right, I like this. I like this verse. It says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now we just talked about the inheritance of the kingdom and what the kingdom was. Now this is the good news. Some of you were once like that. But you've been cleansed and you were made holy and you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord and the spirit of our God. So the good news is we, a lot of us were like this. Hello? So that's the good news. You don't have to stay there, praise God. Okay, let me move right along. Um, Sodom, if we look at these grave, grievous sins, turn with me to Jude 7. There's only one chapter there, so it's actually Jude 1, 7, but verse 7 of Jude. I'll go all the way back towards Revelation. Right after Peter, John, 1 John, 2 John. We've taught out of this one before, the three of the spiritual things that are opposing the church of today, but I just, I just wanna highlight here in verse eight, so Jude chapter one or verse eight, in the same way these people who claim authority from their dreams, they live immoral lives. So you had false prophets, false teachers, and they, they're living in a dark si- sense even though they're doing their stuff. They defy authority, they scoff at supernatural beings, angels but even Michael one of the mightiest of the angels did not dare to accuse the devil of blasphemy but simply said Lord you rebuke him Michael arguing with him and the devil and so it says look at verse 7 even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire now, when you pull this apart, it's very interesting in the Hebrew. Strange flesh. We, again, I don't have time to go there, but you can look up. There is different kinds of flesh, in fact. Um, Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about human flesh, animals, fish, birds. They're all different. The same word is different kinds of flesh. So what they're saying here is the people of Sodom went after strange flesh flesh that same word I believe it's bestiality we already know that all kinds of perversion everything vile and unclean and when you look at what's happening on the internet today the vile progression of this sickness and this demonization is happening at such live high levels young men that I'm doing deliverance on for for addiction to pornography it is so vile it's not the little penthouse magazine of your your father's generation This thing is extremely wicked. In fact, if you do the science, go online and look up the science of pornography. I don't know why I'm on this line, but it changes your brain chemistry. If you're dabbling in this, I'm warning you, this better stop because there's a place here that lifestyle has a consequence to your eternal judgment. And so I know this is raw, but we gotta talk the truth here because he wants us set free from anything that's of bondage, whether it's gossip, hatred, bondage, you know, it's, not, it's not just homosexuality listed here, right? If you're practicing adultery through fornication or through pornography, you're still doing it. Jesus said, watch out, you look after a woman lust have you already created, committed adultery in your heart. I don't know who I'm speaking to, but I, Lord, this is a wise thing for all of us. to If you're a gossiper, you're tearing down your mother, your father-in-law, Stop it. If that's your lifestyle, you're in danger. Okay. I'm speaking to myself too. I, I'm I get convicted on this as well. All right. So they went after strange flesh and he says, look, that is a wicked, grievous sin. And you can look at all this stuff. So I'm, we're supposed to love in the midst of those who are in bondage and those who come. We do hundreds and hundreds of deliverance ministries, prayer healing ministries every year here. That's part of our call. So if you're stuck in something, come get help. Halfway houses, house of mercy. We're here to help the Isaiah 61 promise. Those who are in bondage will be set free. But it has to start also with the house. We don't wink at sin here. The, the mirror sits right here. So you gotta watch. He says, have I committed adultery with my eyes? Have I? Have I done?" We gotta watch what we're looking at. My Papa Jack used to tell me, son, the first look's inevitable. You go to the beach, you probably have no choice. There's women showing stuff that they shouldn't be showing. But the second one, that second look, son, that's called sin and you better not do it. Yes, Papa? I hear you. Okay. It's still ugly today. This sin is ugly. And this sin that Sodom and Gomorrah and what's happening today, this flagrant stuff of sin is just, they flagrantly... These gay pride parades and all the flaunting of this, the indoctrination of our children, the devil is out to destroy your children, your grandchildren, and take down the nation and destroy it, why? Why do we have people that are trying to pass laws that are gonna allow pedophilia? This is vile, and we gotta get set, I love what, what Karen said, it's time for us to step up and open our mouth and say, I don't like this at all, and we're not gonna allow it. And if you're not registered to vote yet, you need to get registered to vote. When I hear that over 25% of Christians are not even registered to vote, I believe you'll be held accountable for that. That's my my opinion. When you let the the others who are pushing these agendas go out and then you say, oh, I don't know, I'm just a victim. No, you're not. You gotta do it righteously. We're not talking about violence, but you gotta do righteous activity. You're supposed to resist the devil and make him flee. 1 Peter 5, eight, 9. Watch out, the devil seeks whom he may devour. Take a firm stand. Where are you taking a firm stand? Amen. Where am I taking a firm stand? Amen. And so when they try to come, I just listen to pastors. Says, you know, they, they want to arrest. They're already arresting pastors in Canada for preaching. If I preach this word in Canada, I can be charged with hate crime. And five years in prison. And it's not too far. There are states trying to pass laws right now that are going to shut down this word. So you need to get lined up with who's going to be representing you in this nation. Pray about it. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but you've got to pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit, who do you want me to stand with, Lord? And it's not right or left. This is good or evil. So anyway. Hallelujah. I've got to land this thing. Okay. So there's this, if you'll, let, let, me, let me try to end this nicely, okay. <sighs> okay, turn with me to Second Peter. This ought to, enc- I hope it encourages you, Second Peter. Turn back to Second Peter chapter 2. Amen. This is Peter's last will and testament. He's in prison and he's about to be crucified upside down and he knows it. Jesus prophesied 30 years ago they're gonna take you and turn you in a place stretch you out and take you where you don't wanna go and history says it was the same day that Paul was beheaded by, by Nero we see here so he's writing to the church in Second Peter 2 let's begin in verse 4 2 Peter 2 4 God did not even spare the angels who sinned remember their rebellion they were thrown into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they're, still, where they're being held to the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and his seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of, of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them to heaps of ashes and he made them as an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and he heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of judgment. He's especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desires and who despise authority. Goes on and says, look at verse 14. They commit adultery with their eyes. They desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people and into their, I lost it here. They're never saying unstable people into sin, and they are well trained in greed. They live under God's curse, they wander from the road, they follow the footstands of, of Balaam the son. Anything that you're a slave to controls you, he says in verse 19. So Peter's ending this. He's saying, I want you to live a holy life. He's given you, committed to living a holy life. Then chapter three is the day of the Lord's coming. And Paul says, uh, Peter says, it's gonna burn like fire, and the elements are gonna burn like fervent heat, they're gonna destroy, that sounds like nuclear war, it sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah, however the Lord's gonna do it, and then he's gonna bring a new heaven and a new earth. Amen, so let's, let's stand. I know this is um, kinda raw, but once we know what the truth is, you know, I had this debate this week, and I, I love this debate, there are, actually, there are multiple levels of truth. There's subjective truth. There was Jonathan and I were talking about this, right? There's subjective truth. It's like, what do you want it to be? Oh, I'd like it to be whatever I want it to be. I'll define it. Then there's objective truth, which is the carpet's gray. Most of us would agree that, that yeah that's, yeah, that's objectively, that's true. And then there's absolute truth. And absolute truth is defined by the God of all truth who's the way, the truth, and the life. This is absolute truth. So whether you like it or not, if you don't like it, take it up with God. But, but he's the ultimate It says, that's what I said truth is. Whether you like it or not. And so, so once we, pa- we fashion our lives to the truth and walk in that, then we're set free. So Lord, I cut your people free right now from any condemnation. If you're here and the Holy Spirit's put a finger on something, then you repent and turn. That's what Alicia opened the service with, this way of changing the way we think. Romans 12, one says, don't conform to the world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, letting God change the way you think, and if you'll do that, he'll show you his perfect plan and will for your life. So Lord, I ask you, Holy Spirit, turn on the light. Let your people be hungry for the word. Let them research in the areas where there's bondage or temptation. Temptation is not the sin. (laughs) Even Jesus was tempted in all ways like us. That's wild, but in no way did he sin. So we get, once you start recognize this is the area the devil's trying to play me in, go do research in the scriptures of what does the Lord say about that because then the word, Hebrews 4.12, which is full of living power, will cut the soul and spirit free and the intentions of the flesh. Galatians 5, walk in the spirit, don't walk in the flesh. So Lord, I pray right now that this house, Lord, I pray a revelation of no condemnation because there is any of that who are in Christ. I ask that the grace of the Lord would set all your people free. Set us free, set me free. Anything, our thoughts, things that are not pleasing to you so that we can walk in this place of righteousness. It's not by works righteousness. He's the one that makes us righteous, but we still have to choose to walk righteously. There's the balance. You're not saved by your works, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You're saved by grace, and yet it's not of yourselves lest you'd boast about it. He says, no, it's by grace, but once you're graced into the kingdom, your lifestyle must change. It must change. That's how you'll know if you're born again. If you're still doing what the world's doing, there's a journey here. So, Lord, I pray right now, Father, a revelation of truth. Holy Spirit, I ask you to release your power into the minds and hearts of your people, those listening by live stream, that will turn away and set many free. The love of many. God, we want them to love just captures. It covers multitudes of sin. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.